There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Which may may have led to the officer informing our listener that he himself was just listening to the Bent podcast in his patrol car. She did a big hard whip down with her rod and spun the hopper up, and I turned around and he had it pinned like a Hitler mustache in his upper lip. <laughs> and then um, we're gonna do a, a, a sail bin that, that brings to mind one of my favorite hip hop songs, Pistol Grip Pump, which is on my lap at all times. Cops listen to this. Hey! Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that really hates golf but has a hard time denying the similarities between it and angling. I'm Joe Cermelli. <laughs> and I'm Hayden Samak, and I'm failing to like see the connection beyond people like feeling the need to wear various like logo wear in order to like flex <laughs> on the folks around them. <laughs> That's it. You're not wrong. That's that's correct. Uh, yeah, but I'm you know I'm leaning into the analogy a bit today because um, of a few listener messages that I've gotten recently. One of which we're actually going to touch on um, in the Bent Helpline later. But but the gist of them is this, right? People often want to know what is the one rod and reel you need to do everything. Mm. And my my answer is always um, you can have one rod and reel that will do a lot but not everything. And that's sort of part of the golf tie-in, right? Conversely, whenever somebody looks in my garage at all my rods and says, like, what the hell do you need that many rods for? My answer is uh, because you don't play 18 holes of golf with with nothing but a driver, right? You could, but are you going to be as effective? No, you're not. Yeah, but you don't do them all in one day. I get what you're saying, but I also, like, sympathize with the mindset of a beginner because you have to start somewhere. And, like, Mm -hmm. if there's, like, one thing that you ought not to do when you get into a hobby is just, like, blow your entire budget for like the next four years on a bunch yeah. of stuff that like you're going to use one one time or whatever. Like I remember when I first started out, man, I bought like a seven weight steelhead rod. Mm-hmm. Ended up using it a lot, but like there was mm-hmm. absolutely like a scenario before I could drive and I had that rod where it was like time to break out the steelhead rod that I could have just rented from the shop. You're right. You're right. You're right. And, and and I think that, that is true. Like, everybody does have to start somewhere. But I think the broader thing I'm trying to say here is is as you grow as a fisherman, it's important to develop sort of like a sense of, of, of like, the systems and the weights and measures that, that, that at play here to really be effective. And and for, like, a lot of, of non-devout anglers, like dabblers, I think right. there's a sense that I just need a rod and a reel with some 10-pound tests and I'm good. And you are good if you're okay always staying in the parameters of that gear, right? Like, you know, I look at it like, you know, if you just want to stay at the driving range, that's where you're happiest, then cool. It's all it's all good, you know what I mean? Right, 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 yeah. So I, I, I get that. Like, fishing in pocket water is like putting or like, I, I, I don't know. You, like, you yeah. need the right club to be effective there. 
Yeah, I, 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 another. I, I hate this metaphor so much. <laughs> it's not a metaphor; well, so it's an analogy. I. That's why it's but, fun because yeah. I, I hate golf. Anyway, um, <laughs> but another analogy I can draw though is the idea of like a golf bag. And I, I'm not a crazy largemouth fisherman, but uh, I have been lucky enough to fish with a few uh, largemouth pros over the years. And those guys are straight up, man. They are golfing on the water, right? They they have all their clubs laid out, and they chip here and putt there and drive here. And I have adopted that method hardcore. It's like my one takeaway from fishing with some pro bass guys. It is extremely rare for me to go out fishing and only carry one rod. Three is more like it. Because I, I want to have a Senko or whatever on one and, and a popper on this one and a jerkbait on, on this one. And they might all have different lines and leaders and actions. But for the sake of efficiency and covering water, I don't want to retie three times at one hole. You know what I mean? Like, I just want right. to cover it and move along. Yeah, I mean, like, I get that out of a boat. But isn't that like a total pain in the ass to carry three rods? I mean, well, I, 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 I'm phrasing it like a question. What I mean is, it's a total pain in the ass to carry three <laughs> rods. <laughs> it can be, right? Not usually. Like you said, on a boat, no issue at all, dude. Like, I go out on my, my little drift boat, and I've got like 13 rods jammed down the sides. Um, and for most bank fishing, like if you're just working a bank, it's not that big a deal either. But the only time I'll, I'll have one rod usually is if I'm waiting and I know I'll be in the water most of the time. Like summer smallie waiting, I put the bare essentials in one chest pack or hip pack or whatever and wade with one rod because I will be in the stream most of the time. Otherwise, I don't yeah. find it that that inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's more my style. In fact, what yeah. I do a lot when I'm like trout fishing is. I'll have one rod that's not exactly what I want for everything, right? But then I'll have mm -hmm. like a couple reels with like different spools on them, right? So I'll go out and I'll, if I wanted to like trout fish and I'm Euro nymphing, right? I'll have my like Euro set up, but in my, in, in my bag, I'll have like a weight forward floating all spooled up. So that way, if it's too windy, I want to fish an indicator. I can move right, over to that. Right. Or if I see a little dry fly action, it's not perfect for it, but it's like good enough. Um, but this all goes to uh, – this is leading me to the point that not all of us can afford an arsenal of rods, Joe. <laughs> I know. Not all of us are Joe Sumelli, uh, man. Right, least of all you. I understand. <laughs> I'm just – look, look. All I'm doing here, I'm just passing along an approach, right? It's just mm. something to think about. That's all. I do believe that efficiency and maximum time with a line in the water – Catches the most fish, right? Regardless of species, regardless of what you're doing. Um, I think, uh, you know, efficiency and keeping lines in, like, you you, you should train yourself to maximize that. Um, also, regardless of your budget, our sponsor, 13 Fishing, at, at least has a lure anyone can afford for pretty much any species. Well, well <laughs> nice, nice segue. Nice segue. Yeah. Um, but I'll also point out that as far as, like, high-quality, budget-friendly, like, outfits... Yeah. Like that's yeah. also something that thirteen fishing is good for. So you bought up wet wading smallies. That's something I want to mm -hmm. do more of. Uh, what um, what would your ideal outfit look like for that? Ideal outfit for that? Oh man, like what's in your like, pack? That's what's in my pack. Well, okay, so I'm not going to go through the entire pack, but I do. I will whittle that down. It's just, literally we're the just size talking of a golf bag, folks. That's what that's where the genesis right. of this analogy was. <laughs> it's my small pack, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, from 13, though, first and foremost for that, the uh, whippersnapper. That is like the smallest jerk bait that they make. Um, perfect for moving water. And, and the model that dives three to five feet is my go-to. This would also come in very handy for trout, of course. It's one of those baits like you barely touch the line, like you just barely yeah. snap it. And uh, it darts all over the place. And, and in terms of an outfit, like anything in that like six and a half to, I don't know, you know, maybe seven foot um, lighter ultralight range for summertime waiting. You know, uh, ten pound braid, something like that. Yeah, travel light. One little spool of uh, eight pound fluoro leader, and uh, that's not true. When Joe's on lures. the stream, it looks like he's packing out an elk with all the shit he has in his bag. No, man. it's you would think that. And there was a time in my life when that was true. Miles and I talked about that a long time ago. How like you're 17 and you have four more pairs shit of on sunglasses, you, than you know what to do with like low lights, four the rod amber tubes. Lens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like four fly rod tubes poking out of your backpack, and like one spinning rod in your belt, and one in your 
hands. Yeah. No, not anymore. I, I do like efficient. I do like your small mouth uh, setup recommendations, and I will be. Uh, I, I never sent out that email to thirteen that I promised I was going to send out last week. So oh man, I'll have to be. Uh, I'll have to be tacking that onto my uh, thirteen order. Good, good. Anyway, so let's we'll do this. We'll, let's switch yeah. off conventional must-haves for a minute um, and talk about fly must-haves, particularly if you tie your own bugs. I've always got bucktail on hand, rabbit strips. Those are a must, right? But have you ever tied with raccoon? Um, have I ever tied with a raccoon? Um, you know, <laughs> no. I the, the closest I've ever gotten to tying with raccoon is I used to tie with a dubbing from, I think, like an Australian possum. Oh, okay. I'm sure they're 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 similar. Yeah. Probably both only come out at night. Anyway, if you need some raccoon, perhaps our friend tale. and guide. <laughs> <laughs> if you need some, perhaps our friend and guide Bart Landwer can help, uh, and he'll tell you where his supply came from in this week's Smooth Move segment. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh my God. So I'm very excited today uh, for our Smooth Moves guest. Some of you might remember um, Tim Landwer of, of Tightline's uh, fly fishing company out there in uh, in Wisconsin. Um, he's not here, even though he's he's done several segments and and co-hosted the show. We have we have his cousin. We're going to start by introducing. We, somebody we have his cousin different. Bart Landwer, and I'm going to give you Bart uh, a few seconds to explain why you are the better Landwer. Why are you the better Landwer than Tim Landwer? Well. I'm- Smarter for sure. Okay, I'm obviously better looking. <laughs> I can vouch for that. You are a good looking man. Yeah, <laughs> we're I, kidding. You know, I, 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 <laughs> on a fishy level, I might be a little bit fishier than him. I'm not sure. Better keg stand. You or Tim Landwer? Tim. Oh, He's got a okay. He's got a problem. <laughs> Okay. All right. We won't we won't drag him into it. Kidding, of course. I got to yes. hang out with Bart um the same time I hung out with Tim when we were filming Das Boat season two up on the Menominee River. Um, and you know, we we like I said we had Tim on and he's always been like, Man, you gotta call Bart, because if you need smooth moves, like he's got some fed up stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly how he put it. So um yeah, man, just so I, I know how long Tim has been guiding. How long have you been guiding? How long have you been in the game? Uh, this will be year 21, I think. 21 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I'm just going to give you the floor, man. And, and, and I've drank with both. I've drank with you in, in a garage, mm-hmm. which was fun. Oh, yeah. It that was, was like the one night on the video shoot. We drank too much and then couldn't like we mm-hmm. didn't, we were not as functional the next day as we should have been. Um, but I'm going to give you the floor, dude. Hit it. Hit us with a smooth move. The WTF moment from 21 years of guiding that sticks out the most. All right. Sticks out the most. I've got a lot of stories, but I, I was trying to think of one that would be a little different. Yeah. And the one I came up with was a trip I took, God, it's probably 10 years ago, with a couple who were an older couple from Chicago. Very okay. urban people, love the idea of the outdoors, love the idea of nature. And they wanted to see the <laughs> just didn't know, Just didn't really experience it much or know anything about no, it. No, they didn't know as much about it as... It really is, right? So right. they come up for the day and they want to see the most beautiful part of the river and they want to see all this great stuff and catch fish. So I set it up. We have a perfect no, day. Where, where is this? Northern this Wisconsin. This is Wisconsin. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I took them to a spot on the river that is not developed at all. There's no cabins. It, okay. it dials up, you guys. It's a perfect, like, 75, 78 degree day, no wind, perfect ah. smallmouth weather, mm. a little humid. So we start off and everything is they're enjoying the hell out of it. We've got perfect weather. We've got happy fish. We see a deer early. You know, everything's great. We're having the best time. And it, I'm Cue looking, the deer. Yeah. I'm literally <laughs> looking for anything flora fauna related I can show them to give them a piece of the great northern experience, right? Is that and, because you question whether they'd actually be able to catch the fish? Yeah, you have that. And, and they weren't stellar, but they were hard workers. And, and we were having a great time. And they're right. super nice people. And everything was, you remember Caddyshack? You remember yeah, the old couple well. in Caddyshack that go golfing and everything is the greatest and that's a peach, hun, and the, the husband <laughs> wife. That's who they reminded me of, right? <laughs> right. Because everything she did, he would compliment her and vice versa. And to <laughs> ad nauseum, right? But we're still having a great time. Oh, that's a lot nicer than the alternative. Yeah. Well, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. So I'm enjoying myself. Damn it, Gladys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So like midway through the morning, I'm a quarter of the way into the float and there's no one around. It's perfect day. And 
I start hearing a dog barking. So there's some bends coming in the river, and I figure we're going to make a bend, and we're going to have someone with a canoe and their dog, or they're on the river hanging out. Sure, sure. So we're talking, oh, somebody must be up here. We make this bend, and I'm hearing the barking intensify, and I can't see a dog. So I'm kind of now, they're fishing, I'm watching River right, and the river has come down, it's early August, mid-August maybe, and the root wads on the base of the trees are kind of all exposed on the riverbank. Right, right. And all of a sudden, I see the back end of a dog that's hung up in this root ball and uh-huh. barking its head off. So you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on right now. So I'm thinking, all right, something's wrong with this dog. Is he caught? Is he hung up? Is he in distress? They're asking me questions that I can't answer. So I'm like, all right, guys, check it out. We're going to reel up and we're going to roll over and see what's going on. And they go, cool. So they reel up their stuff and I start kind of pushing and rolling over to this dog. And as I'm approaching, he's just intensely barking under this tree And I'm starting to question whether or not he's stuck. As we get over there, I'm close now. He's not stuck. He's underneath this blowdown. And another dog appears on the bank. The second dog is a hound with a big whip antenna on his neck. Well, in Wisconsin, late July into early August, the bear hunters, they run their dogs. But what they found and were interested in was about to happen right in front of us at about 20 feet. I can't get away from it. And the one dog and the other dog dive in and they come out with a raccoon and proceed to eviscerate it (laughs) 20 feet from us. So this is a two minute, not, this is probably 40 seconds, but it feels like an hour and a half. It's blood, hair, snarling, squealing, screaming. And they stop. One of them looks over at me and starts wagging his tail, kind of comes up, smells the boat. The other one's happy as a clam. Meanwhile, there's a raccoon in its death throes rolling in the shallows. And every time it comes up, it's making noise and going back up. It's dying. And at this moment... what what If you had to imitate this noise, what would it be? I, I'm not doing that. Come on now. Just think of a really nasty, bad noise. So, so I'm just watching what's unfolding in front of me. And I'm like, okay, dogs. And they bounce away. They're gone. And here's this raccoon dying yet. The water's got blood in it. And then I realize I got people with me and I look up and they are pale, speechless. The wife's mouth is agape, obviously. And I don't even, what the hell do you say to them? And I go, uh, well, it's almost time for lunch. That's what comes out of me. You know, you guys ready for a sandwich? So I'm like, well, um, that's the reality of nature. Some shit you say, you don't know what to say, right? So as I start to bite my oars in to pull off the bank and leave the situation, the woman goes, is that another one? And I look up on the bank, and there was like four little yearlings that were with mom, and they must have all been in there, and the dogs killed them all. It was awful. (laughs) And I'm not messing around, you guys. It was like lunchtime right there. Lunchbox right here, guys. Let's go have a sandwich. That's the reality of nature, folks. Well, it is the reality oh of nature, except that the dogs weren't really like wild. It wasn't like wild animal. No, wild. No, it was I kind of manufactured, you know. It was. So, so, how, so oh did gosh. they eat their lunch or just have like one bite or just sort of poke around the tuna sandwich? Or it was, How did the rest was, of the day go? It was quiet. <laughs> People were a bit concerned with what they'd experienced. And I'll tell you, I do have the backup end of that story is right out of lunch. We came out and we got going again and the weather's nice. And that raccoon's dead long behind us. And the fishing actually got pretty damn good. Right. Yeah. Well, with all that things are hungry. So we were fishing hopper patterns for smallmouth, and mm-hmm. they were crushing. And the lady was in the front of the boat and she could not hook fish. And her husband who was so flattering to her all day it became an annoyance to her because he was oh you'll get him next time and he kept hooking up and at one point and i don't know if it was because the raccoon had her a little miffed and upset and everything but she had a fish come up after about the 10th missed fish and she did a big hard whip down with her rod and spun the hopper up and i heard him squeal behind me and i turned around and he had it pinned like a hitler mustache in his upper lip So I just turned around before he could do anything. He said, no, wait. And I just put my hand in his face and took it out right away. Wow, man. That was a two. That was a twofer right there. Yeah. 
You know what it reminds me of, man? Like, one of the only times I've ever seen, like, dog-led destruction like that uh-huh. was it was, like, early spring, and uh, we were doing, like, some, like, yard work around my house, mm-hmm. and my mother is in, like, this, like, front garden that we have. There's, like, me, my dad, you know, we're, like, in back. It's my brother and my mom. They were in front. She comes around all excited. You know, the dog's running around, and she comes out excited. She goes, come look. Come look. There are baby rabbits. Oh. <laughs> By the time we got there, in her absence, the dog <laughs> went right over and just destroyed the entire nest I, I've of baby ha- I've rabbits. had similar things happen. I've And also, like, do you know, like, if a baby rabbit is sick or something, I think, like, the mom will actually eat it to get rid of it? I did not know that. Like, I've had baby rabbits in a yard, and, like, there'd be, like, one all of a sudden one day. Like, one's not there, and it's just, like, eaten in half. But, like, nibbles, tiny nibbles. Like I think it bites. was the rabbit. Rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to qualify that one a little. This bit. shit just got all really weird. Yeah, I like don't a new know. take on a baby carrot. Don't you man. do that? <laughs> ben listeners, do mother rabbits eat their babies if one of them is sick and like can't? I don't. I don't know. Anyway, did those people come back? They have been back. Yeah. Good. Do they? Do and they? Are they on guard now for the nature? Do they still love the nature as much as they thought they did? I think they understand nature a little bit more now. So, uh, how'd you like that one, meat eaters? Visceral. <laughs> That's what that was. Anyway, huge thanks to uh, Bart for sharing that thanks, one. Bart. He's just out there uh, hammering small jaws and scarring old people for life. <laughs> so. Well, in case you haven't had enough carnage, uh, sit back and listen to Joe and I tear each other to pieces in the uh, the virtual raptor paddock we like to call Fish News. <laughs> fish News! That escalated quickly. So here's a little fun shout out. Uh, caveat being we're going to exclude names and states as a matter of protection, which and this is the first on Ben, but it's all going to make sense because uh, we need not call anyone out for fear of judgment nor getting anyone and, in trouble. And what? I would like to point out that I, I whatever Joe is about to like drop on y'all, <laughs> I'm not privy to it. <laughs> no, this came through Instagram, uh, but I got, I got this note from a listener on Instagram who told me he may or may not have gotten pulled over recently on his way home from a fishing trip. And he may or may not have have recently partaken uh, in the consumption of, we'll say, CBD products, if you catch what's swirling around in my bong water. And since we're not talking about the gummies here, there may or may not have been a noticeable odor in his vehicle, which the officer that pulled him over smelled. Anyway, the officer may or may not have noticed the fishing gear in the car, which may or may not have quickly morphed the convo from CBD products to local fishing, which may may have led to the officer informing our listener that he himself was just listening to the Bent podcast in oh his God. patrol car. <laughs> Cops listen to this? <laughs> Maybe. This could be a hypothetical situation. All of this uh, may have led to our dear listener getting off the hook. So what he asked me to do was shout out the officer by name, which I will not. Like, no, <laughs> that isn't going to happen. I'm not even saying he really exists. But if he does, officer, you're cool. And it just goes to show you, um, Benton fishing are like PBA cards sometimes. <laughs> so that story, I, I enjoyed that story. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can't believe like police officers listen to this show. Like that is just like one day. I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess it makes why? just as much sense as anybody Cops else. fish? Dude, I know yeah, a lot but of- it'd be like, you know, I'd, like, I would be equally surprised if like a doctor or like a, 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 a fireman or like just, just somebody else, like, you know, it seems like once you have like a, a, I don't know, there's just something about a police officer listening to this that just seems like- I think it's terrific. I think <laughs> it's because the whole uh, degenerate angler thing. Yeah. Because like uh, cops are supposed to be like very generous. well put well put anyway listen no judgment for either party uh if this hypothetical officer is listening and wanted to i don't know send some pba cards since you've kind of been shouted out that would be cool anyway uh yeah i won't hold out hope for that so let's uh before we move on let's knock out conservation minutes real quick here um here's what i got okay cross louisiana scientists are finding non-lethal ways to collect information about spotted and alligator gar trojan to ass- gar Tro- yeah <laughs> to assess the overall health of floodplains and habitats the gar provides samples for isotope analysis however historically 
collecting those has been uh, lethal. Teams have relied on muscle tissue and stomach contents. Interesting, man. Yes. Interesting. I'm about to talk uh, later, or I guess when I lead off, I'm going to talk about a non-lethal science-based fish thing. Thing, 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 right. Anyway. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So No, no, no. So now these research teams from uh, Austin, Texas, and Nichols State University have devised a way to gather the same info with just small fin clips, which means more healthy gar. Uh, to eat your carp chunks or um, for someone to just shoot in the head with an arrow and collect zero data. Either way, more guard for everybody. Hmm. So for my conservation minutes, um, we are going to talk about uh, not live fish, but dead fish. A, uh, a fish kill in Mobile, Alabama has been reported. Is it Mobile or Mobile? I've heard it said both ways. I say, I, so I, I say, I, I think it's I mobile, say mo- but like, I'm I using say mobile. Bob Dylan as my like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say it mobile, but then somebody from there is going to be like, it's mobile. You know, like you can't win. <laughs> you can't win. You can't win. People right, from there, well, let us know. <laughs> Well, the, uh, the the red drum are stuck inside a mobile with the uh, Memphis Blues again. Uh, anyway, in Mobile, Alabama, a large fish kill was reported. A video shot by charter boat captain Blake. Ah, oh, crap. Mike. Mikelski? Mikelski? I'm going to go with Mikelski. Uh, okay. Showed hundreds of dead red drum along a tide line in the mouth of Mobile Bay. Uh, heading towards Sand Island Lighthouse. Uh, Though an immediate cause is not clear, scientists aren't particularly worried about uh, long-term impacts as the incident seems to be relatively isolated. The source of the kill is not clear as the likely cause had already dissipated by the time scientists got to the scene. Um, This fish kill is unique in that most of the time fish kills are only detected as fish wash up on shore. This one, however, was discovered in open water. Anyhow, if you have any information on this, go ahead and uh, talk to uh, some colleges in Alabama. I know they I know they recently had a nasty cold swing down there, but I don't think it was long enough like the one last year in Texas to to do that. So, yeah, um, who knows? Anyway. uh, All right. Minutes have been conserved. Now, uh, for the bloodbath, remember, this is a competition. Hayden and I do not know which main story the other fellow is bringing to the table. At the end, our audio engineer, Phil, will take a fin clip from each of us to determine which guy spent more than 10 minutes looking for his story. Uh, As you've already pointed out, it's your lead, man. So what do you got? Okay, so today on Fish News, I'm going to talk about something I'm totally qualified to share my thoughts and report on, uh, neuroscience. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, th- this comes to us from interestingengineering.com as well as a press release from uh, USC, and that's University of Southern California. Uh, to that end, researchers at USC have, for the first time, observed memories forming in a living animal. And guess what kind of animal that was, Joe? Uh, it was, I, I, I know cause I almost grabbed this. It's like a zebra, uh, fish. It's a fish. Or it's a fish. You're not supposed to like tell them the whole. Why? Well, I just told him it's a zebra fish. That's yeah, what they always know, do these tests it's, on. it's for the banner, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, it, it was a fish because this is a fishing podcast and this is fish news. And as Joe pointed out, it was a zebra fish. Anyway. Yeah. Scientists captured the first ever snapshot of a memory being formed in a living animal by harassing larval zebra fish with laser beams. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, uh, let's talk about zebra fish as model organisms. Uh, a They're model shitty or- tank fish. I'll tell you that they're very boring <laughs> and they fade. The stripes fade. It's like, then it's yeah. just like a minnow, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, a model organism, not to be just totally derailed by Joe's feelings on zebra fish as tank fish, uh, is a non-human species studied to understand particular biological phenomena with the expectation that discoveries made in the model organism will provide insight into the workings of other organisms. Uh, Zebrafish happen to make particularly good model organisms. I think that's like my fifth particularly in this uh, episode of Fish News. Anyway, being that they're, uh, you know, the zebrafish is easily modifiable. They develop outside the womb, which is useful in observing that stage of organism development. And they uh, they breed more prolifically than like mice, for example. So there's like right. a lot of them and they're, you know, anyway. Yep. Uh, the other thing about them is they're basically see-through, which makes them particularly, that's number six, useful oh. for making observations of, uh, of their, on their vascular and nervous systems. Oh, this is great. This particular story is rooted in the latter. Dude, 
I I was writing horribly this week. Okay. <laughs> On to harassing GMO zebrafish with laser beams. Scientists at USC wanted to learn about the ways memories were formed and what physiological changes occurred during that process. What they did was they exposed a 12-day-old zebrafish to a light source, which is a fancy way of saying they turned on a light. Then they heated the little zebrafish up with an infrared laser, which the little fish found uncomfortable, at which point they would try to swim away to uh, avoid the laser. Mm-hmm. The scientists trained the fish for five hours until the fish had learned that when the light comes on, the laser beam is close behind it. Eventually, the fish would shake their little tails when the light came on, meaning they knew the laser beam was coming, meaning that they learned, meaning that they developed a memory. Voila. Uh, th- uh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, This was documented importantly with a special way of imaging their brains. A problem with uh, this kind of like micro imaging, I I don't don't know what the real term is. Obviously, like my my comment about this being something I'm well versed in at the top of news was uh, made in jest. But anyway, the problem with this type of imagery is that uh, the scientists would often kill the fish with the photons used to generate it. Um, using a special microscope, they were able to observe live fish, which was previously impossible. You you pretty much had like one before or after, right? It was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. here's the fish yeah. when it was alive, here's the fish being dead. Um now you can have like a like a, a a linear before and after progression. And actually thinking about it, probably what you had was you had fish that were exposed to this thing and were not exposed to this thing. And like not being the same fish, you had one live fish, one dead fish, and you tried to parse the difference. Anyhow, uh, using that special microscope and looking at living zebrafish and their little fish brain, scientists discovered something interesting. That instead of a synapses being strengthened during the making of the memory, uh, what actually happened is that some synapses is... Some synapsi? Synapses? Synapses? Meesen? Some disappeared while others were generated elsewhere in the brain, leading scientists to a completely new understanding of how a memory is formed. For the last 40 years, and this is a quote, for the last 40 years, the common wisdom was that you learn by changing the strength of synapses. Synapses. But it's just synapses. I know, man. I know. It's just Synapse. a tough word, man. Yeah. Synapse. Sit down and let me finish the news story. Uh, but that's not what we found in this case, said Carl Kesselman, a computer scientist at USC. Shit. Viterbi? Viterbi. Viterbi. USC Viterbi. Viterbi. Yep. Viterbi. <laughs> I don't f- know either. <laughs> uh <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Uh, anyhow, uh, scientists think this research could mean big progression in uh, in the understanding of things like PTSD and why uh, and why those unpleasant associative memories uh, seem so strong. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a very cool study and it's very cool technology. But I think I'm gonna I, I have no choice but to strip it down to a more like fishing based level. I think um, what well what this proves right is that uh, fish have memories. And we all kind of knew that, right? But, I mean, there it is right in front of you. I mean, this study literally watched a memory form in tiny fish. So, like, everybody gets hung up on conditioning and pressure, and it's like, oh, we're all chasing these things with these teeny little brains. and Yeah, but, I mean, there's sort of proof in, in the pudding that, um, you know, fish are, are, are smarter than we think. And what I, I looked at this story briefly. I didn't grab it. Thank God, because then we would have crossed over. But um, what came to mind was literally just this past weekend, I took my son out fishing for a little while, and there was this pond that I found in this park where I was looking for mushrooms last spring. Did not know it existed, right? And I just kind of like tucked it away in the back of my mind. And it's a cheesy little pond with benches and stuff around it. And I just rolled in there with like a bunch of worms and, and bobbers for him. And dude, when I walked up to that water and looked in, I was like, oh my God, there are like thousands of the biggest dinner plate bluegills I have ever seen in my life swimming around in these shallows. And this is going to be an absolute slaughter. And every single bit of worm that went in that water, they would rush it, stare at it and turn around and swim away. Bluegills we're talking about here, which tells me these fish get the living shit pounded out of them. Like they are too exposed and too many people <laughs> roll up to this tiny little park pond 
And like, yeah, like to get one to eat, I had to like take the bobber off and like fly cast with two pound test and like make sure the hook was hidden. And it was completely no fun for my son because he just wants to cast the bobber and have it go (laughs) under. But point being like those fish have learned something and retained something. So if nothing else, this story proves uh, that fish do have memories of the uh, bubblegum pink Senko you insist on throwing and don't understand why it doesn't work anymore. Please enter your password. You have one unheard message. Hey, Joe. Hey, Hayden. Uh, Just figured I'd give you a call. I've got a little bone to pick with you two. And I'm actually speaking for Seth as well. We do not catch just just tiny dink little walleye here. We're catching mainly giants. Like last year in Fort Peck, man, we caught one that was pert near 12 pounds. Anyways, screw you guys. Walleye are great. End of message. Delete. Press 7. Save. Deleted. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. We actually have, um, man, there's a lot of common threads between our stories today. Uh, mostly that they are dealing with uh, small fish and technology that neither you or I truly understand. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm going to go with it anyway because I, I found this interesting. Um, I think we all pretty much know what radio tagging or acoustic tagging is. Uh, it's pretty common in, in fisheries research these days. But much of it is focused on larger species. What is species. acoustic tagging, Joe? Well, okay, uh, for those of us that just need a quick version, uh, you implant a a tag that emits a signal on either the inside or outside of a fish, and that that transmits data about where the fish swims and how deep it dives and all that good stuff back to a satellite or whatever, and then we collect the data on our lappity toppities. Uh, most notably, you can you can actually anybody can hop online and track great white sharks all over the world that have been tagged. Um, I do it every time I go swimming. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You look first, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a long time ago we reported on how there was a sports book 
being created where you could like bet on where the sharks would pop up. <laughs> anyway, uh, forget about the Great Whites, and we're going to talk about Little Itty Bitty Salmon. A team from the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory has developed acoustic tags smaller than a grain of rice, which is pretty impressive. And they've been implanting them in juvenile Chinook salmon throughout the Pacific Northwest. I love like grain of rice as a standard unit of measuring. Yeah. Like, I, I, mean, I feel like all why? technology saying, like, are we is like talking smaller Uncle than Ben's a grain of rice. Or the expensive basmati <laughs> shit you get at Whole Foods. I mean, it's a huge rice difference, you know? Smaller rice than a That's rice a pretty long grain. Oh, rice aroni is mm. delicious. Anyway, uh, so there's a very specific purpose for this. Um, and then similar to the research in your story, right? This can be useful all over the world. It's not It's not focused just uh, on this one thing. But the Juvenile Salmon Acoustic Telemetry System collects the data from these tags to study how juvenile salmon running back downstream to the ocean modify their behavior as they approach a dam and then how they navigate through those dams. So per the story from opb.org, uh, juvenile salmon generally have four options when they encounter a dam, right? They can use the specially designed juvenile fish bypass system in place on dams throughout the Pacific Northwest. They can run the gauntlet and go right through the turbines. They can plummet over the spillway or go over the less harsh surface spillway. And that last one there, uh, as I understand it, means that the water is spilling, if this makes sense, at the same surface level as the water behind it. Versus the regular spillway where the fish would sort of have to like fall down a few flights of stairs and then get spit out the other side. It's like jumping off a cliff or falling down an escalator and then falling off a slightly shorter cliff. So those are kind of the differences. It's like one shot or a little torture on the way. Anyway, it goes without saying that the information on how the majority of these fish are getting through the dam is valuable. Uh, as the story points out, collecting this kind of data to prove you know, or disprove different hypotheses Without acoustic tags would take a very long time and be very costly. They note that these tags can be implanted in baby salmon very quickly with little stress, in most cases with just one or two sutures. So as the fish approach the dam, scientists collect information on um, where the fish are swimming, how long it takes them to pass through the dam, which route they're following, and if they survive. So I'm curious, any guess uh, from you on on which of those options the fish take most of the time through the dam, whether it be the built-in salmon bypass, the uh, steep fall, or the short, tumultuous fall, or right through the turbines? Um, 60% to 70% maybe of like the young salmon pass over the tops of dams through surface spills. What did I you just guess. Google that? Because that's like the next thing that I'm going to say. You just cheated <laughs> somehow because you're a dick. Yes. That's for ruining my guess earlier, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so far, the studies have found 60 to 70% of the young salmon pass over the tops through the surface spills, meaning the spillway uh, that's spilling from the same level as the water behind it. Um, so the direct dive off the cliff instead of falling down some stairs first is the main way. And while that sounds harsh, the acoustic tags are also proving that most of those salmon survive that drop. They are doing well on the other side. So if you think about this, um, that means in this case, less than half of the fish are using the special bypass hamster maze put in place for them to use. Uh, which I suppose begs the question of, of do you actually need those or do you just top spill more? Um, there's no answer right now, but these are the kinds of questions the study hopes to answer and apply to dams the world over for all different species of fish. Damn, that's a good news story, Joe. Damn. Is it not? Mm. You know what? Like my favorite but oft unheralded version of uh, of fish transportation is. What is that? I'm a fan of the salmon cannon, man. You ever see that? Oh, the salmon <laughs> cannon. Yeah, I've seen the salmon cannon. Salmon Dude. cannon's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you guys don't know what, like, the salmon cannon is, basically it's like, I don't know, actually, like, the actual, like, prevalence of biologists transporting salmon in that way, but it's basically, like, they load... It's they like a minigun. They just swim in and... No, nah, it's not quite like that. Uh, the, uh, it's funnier the, that way. The biologists load these uh, 
you know, the, these salmon up into what appears to be like flexible piping and like they kind of go through this vacuum system and they, they even like have videos of these things being backlit where you can see like just this perfect silhouette of a salmon like snaking through this like large rubber pipe. Anyhow, it takes them from one spot, puts them in another spot. And I don't know if you, have you ever seen like those videos of that being sli- uh, spliced to like somebody getting hit in the hit in the side of the head with an Asian carp? Oh yeah, yeah. It's Dude, it's it's, 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 it's it, it, TikTok just <laughs> got all over that. I you yeah. know the technology out there to move salmon. I appreciate it very much, whether it be the salmon cannon or like building better dams, if that's really a thing. And it, but it's like, man, we can get all these people together to do that. Like, can can Pennsylvania get enough volunteers to float stock instead of just dumping them off the bridge? Like, can we just get like a couple like retired dudes <laughs> to just? Float stocks and trout, so they're in the hole. I remember when I was a kid. Anyway, um, Phil Nye, the science guy, he's got some picks this week. Zebra fish that think or um, grains of rice aroni stuffed in uh, juvenile salmon. We're going we're gonna to hear from Phil. We're going to get his judgment. And then um, we're going to do a, a, a sail bin that, that brings to mind one of my favorite hip-hop songs, Pistol Grip Pump, which is on my lap at all times. Joe, this week I'm the winner. That's right. Phil is uh, Phil's now working in Texas, so I'm editing the podcast this week, and there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. All right, this week in the sale bin, we uh we have a doozy, and and you know you know what else, man? I I believe this is actually the first ever sale bin that I'm leading off. Ah. May it could no, be. I'm pretty I don't sure really remember. Is, Might be, yeah. Yeah. And anyhow, uh, this one was submitted by listener Derek, and we're not going to use his last name here because I don't want the guy who posted the listing he submitted, uh, like like tracking him down. Well, if you're, and, yeah, and if you're wondering why that would even be a thing, just hang on, hang tight, because you're gonna, yeah, you're yeah, gonna we're, find we're, out. We're, we're gonna get there in a second. <laughs> so this is either uh, criminal or the lister is easily the most degenerate angler of the degenerate yeah. anglers. And this has very little to do with the items being sold and more with the items that happen to be in the picture uh, attached to the listing. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, right, this is either a degenerate fly tire or a degenerate who robbed a fly tire at gunpoint and is now trying to flip a stash um, of stolen materials. The broader point here is sometimes it's not even the thing, it's the surroundings in the photo. Anyway, why at gunpoint, you ask? Well, uh, we're going to get to that. But first, let's let's just tell them about the rest of the photo before we get to those juicy bits. (laughs) Okay, so the photo is uh, like... I don't even know how this was staged. First off, it's a photo fly tying material. That's what the dude is selling. And it's kind of spread out on a bed, but not just any bed, like a dirty mattress with a single stained fitted sheet on it. The mattress is on the floor. Like, like you remember that, uh, Joe, you remember that like gross stoner buddy in college who would trash all around his room and just got that, just had that grody mattress on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's that guy. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and man, it, yeah, it has all the hallmarks of uh, stonerism because if you look around the peripheries of the photo, uh, you've got like all the usual suspects, okay? There's dirty laundry. It is an extremely dirty floor. Like if you walked on it barefoot, like it would be disgusting. Yeah. Um, there's outside furniture inside. That's always a big one. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like if the Walmart lawn chair is also the TV chair, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, big gulp. Big gulp. On the nightstand. Hey guys, oh, big gulps, huh? Well, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I would say it's it, it's full of like cigarette ash, except for the fact that there's like an ashtray on the decrepit old coffee table there. Right. Yeah, and you know there was Mountain Dew in that. Anyway, yes, yeah, so we got the ashtray on the old coffee table, snack wrappers, the whole deal. Um, I mean, it's your stoner buddy Dave's house who always had enough money to like you know just fund his hobbies, but no formal hobbies. vocation. You know his hobbies. Yeah. Except it's even worse than that because when your buddy in college uh, might have just been stoned out of his mind, uh, this guy seems to be just regular out of his mind or perhaps criminally out of his mind. And Joe, right. why do we think that, man? <laughs> because because right there in frame, and by the way, we're going to post this on Instagram, but this, this was totally croppable. <laughs> like this didn't have to happen. You could have cropped in on the materials for sale. Um, but I, I, I don't know why he didn't just crop this all together. Anyway, right there in the frame is what appears to be <laughs> like a straight up fucking sawed off <laughs> shotgun. 
Like legit a sold off shotgun that looks like rusty <laughs> and weathered. It's weird. <laughs> Dude, I know you can buy like pistol grip pumps that have enough barrel length to be legal, but uh, in my semi-expert yeah. opinion, as <laughs> someone who has messed around with like a lot of shotguns in my life, this is not that. In the words of uh, UFC President Dana White, that's f***ing illegal. Yeah, indeed it is. I'm going to back you up on that. Uh, look, uh, the, the listing isn't really that remarkable outside from the excellent photos. It just says fly tying. $1,200. I mean, that's kind of remarkable because it's just a bunch of thread and shit. Willing to sell separately, price negotiable. Uh, used like new, which is which is actually good because there's no way what he's selling is worth $1,200. Uh, first of all, uh, m- mostly everything is inside an old school three-tiered Plano tackle box. So it's it's not like a ton of stuff. This is not like you're buying like lefty craze tying materials. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and like you said, it's mostly thread and wire. To be yeah. fair, it's a, it's a pretty legit selection of thread and wire, but it also looks ancient. So like the used like new tag is dubious at best. Uh, maybe this is a good time to remind folks that uh, replace your tying thread like semi regularly. Otherwise, you're going to have some shitty experiences with uh, with flies coming undone there. That is true. That is that is a good tip yeah. right there. Uh, you know what I was thinking? You know what this What's also that? looks like? This looks like a scene, like this looks like a photo that could have been taken in like Buffalo Bill's house. Like if there was yeah. a death's head moth on the bed next to the flying materials, like it would have been right out of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where uh, somebody goes to get murdered. Anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's also not like they're like, uh, like hackle capes or whatever. It's mostly no. just that thread, some bucktails. You're pretty much buying some- <laughs> thread. The guy's selling thread. <laughs> some zonker strips, uh, like all inexpensive items so we know it's 1200 bucks but how much do you think you'd be willing to pay for all that fly tying goodness man uh how much i don't know 50 bucks because this seems like the kind of guy like if if like if i like bumped into this dude or saw this and he was trying to like sell i'd be like i'll give you 40 50 bucks and i don't is it weird to say he'd he'd probably take it oh like, doesn't he like the photo like take it, he would ta- he would take it he needs 40 bucks and he needs it, it fast, would, okay? You would have to pay me more than <laughs> this was worth to even go there and get the stuff. Like, right. Uh, this isn't Jerry <laughs> with a cup of tea, all right? Yeah, and I think a lot of people are either scared off by the price tag or the implications of what might happen should you get there and try to negotiate, <laughs> which explain. I think maybe that's why it's in there. I think that's why the shotgun's in there. He's trying to dissuade negotiation. This it could be. I mean, regardless, it's sketchy and like. Well, that's why it's been there for three months. Well, again, not to pass judgment, but like, if you knew where this guy lived, I just keep an eye on the curve because this seems like the kind of thing that, like, eventually he'd just chuck out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's sketchy. sketchy. It's very so sketchy. sketchy. Um, you know, and I've been known to drive like hours for a bargain and meet up with like some folks I don't really know too well. Uh, if there was like a good deal on some gear. But even I would shy away from this, like price notwithstanding. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a hard pass for me too. I don't know. Like I've 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 had some dabblings in used fly material. I've never bought them, but there's been a few times when like a friend of the family, like you know, somebody passes away and they tied a little or something. Yep. And it's like, do you want this stuff? And you know, yeah, you end up with all these hackles and capes and stuff that like you look at them and they turn to dust. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like so. I don't. I don't. I haven't really dabbled that much uh, there. Anyway, Derek, uh, last name excluded. Thanks for sending this in. Uh, and if you come across a similar listing or something else you'd like us to highlight on the sale bin, go ahead and uh, email us a link at bentatthemediator.com. And if you're in PA and decide that this particular bargain might be for you, make sure to text me or Hayden with your location. Uh, you know, if you're meeting this guy, and uh, what time we should call the cops if we haven't heard from you. That sale bin reminded me of a contender from many moons ago that we never ran, honestly, because I just couldn't think of enough to say about it to cover an entire segment. But a listener sent it in, um, and it was a guy in the Carolinas, I believe, selling a bait cannon. You know what that is? You ever seen one of those? Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I love those things, man, particularly because, like, when I was a uh, when I was a kid, we used to build, like, PVC potato cannons all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is just one of those with, like, legit utility. Yeah, so this guy, this was not a homemade jobber. This was like the expensive, you know, aluminum bait cannon. Yeah. 
Um, so, and it was a very short description. It was just like bait cannon, 500 bucks or whatever, but there was only one photo of the bait cannon on his lawn, but his giant dog, which I think was a boxer is taking a huge steamy shit right next to the bait cannon that is for sale. Like this giant (laughs) curling turd is falling out of the dog's ass, like within inches of the item. And it's just like. Take another photo, man. Like digital photography is free. Like you can't say that you didn't notice that. You yeah. know, it, it's funny because we sit here and we analyze all this shit. But the truth is, I just don't think people care. Like, I don't either. They really don't. I'm certain the guy who took the photo for today's sale, but never gave the surrounding a thought. Cared then, or will care now if he hears this? <laughs> no, which which he won't. Uh, but you know what? We uh, we hear uh, you. We hear you and your questions, Bent listeners. So. To take this episode full circle to the start where we touched on the existence of uh, a perfect spinning or bait casting rod, let's chat about whether such a thing exists in the fly world in today's installment of The Bent Helpline. What are you laughing at, Martini? You're not an idiot? Huh? You're not a damn loony now, boy. You're a fisherman. <laughs> What's your emergency? All right, so this week on the uh, Bent Helpline, we are hearing from Ryan Galarno, a.k.a. Crono- <laughs> Crayola Munchies on... Uh, it's a great handle, <laughs> yeah. great handle. Love to know more. Yeah, Crayola know? Munchies on uh, the Instagram. He asks, been fishing all my life, but never fly fished. What would be the best way to start? Now, I, I-, I got some thoughts on this, Joe, but why don't yeah, you... No, no, no. You go first. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Okay. So, um, I have, uh, I, I, I guess I've been in this position more recently than you. Beginner fly rod, first off, right? Like, don't go out buying like a a crazy nine hundred dollar rod because like that's what you think you need to be good. A nine hundred dollar rod, or just even even like a you know a, a more upper echelon rod, uh, has its place, but. I don't know about you, Joe, but like, I don't feel like that's something that I was really able to appreciate until I was like far enough along in my like fly fishing trajectory. Well, uh, th- that's exactly right. That's like getting your, your learner's permit when you're 16 and somebody putting you in like a BMW sports car. Like right. you don't know how to drive the Corolla yet. So are you really going to appreciate the difference? Um, and I agree with everything you just said. People ask me all the time, you know, similar, like I'm, I, I want a starter set up. What what brand do you recommend? And truth be told, my answer is always figure out what your price range is for the rod and reel combo yep. and then pick the one that you like aesthetically. Because tr- really, I think if you're looking at fly rod and reel combos in, in, in similar price ranges, I mean, I haven't fished them all, so I can't mm. like say, well, this one is better. And is there really a terrible fly rod anymore? No. In, 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 in any price range... Especially if you don't know the difference. If you don't know how to cast yet at all, you will learn just fine on whether it's an Echo, Orvis, what, whatever uh, sort of budget lower end brand you can afford. And if you stick with it, like you said, someday if you pony up for the $900 jobber, then mm-hmm. you'll be like, oh, yeah. now I see. But there's no point in jumping to that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want a specific like combo that I like a lot, uh, and I this doesn't interfere with 13, I, I don't think, because they don't make fly rods. Not at all. No. The, uh, the Orvis Clearwater combo mm. I think is great because it, it comes with your line. It comes with your reel. Uh, it comes with your rod. I think it even comes with uh, some leader material. But I remember I'd, I'd gotten a girlfriend one of those at uh, at, at one point in time, man. And I fished that thing for a while. And it was great. It's like, you know, even somebody who knows something about it, man, I thought that was totally sufficient. So yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've said I've said this before, and I'll, I'll reiterate it. In my opinion, um, you can either cast a fly rod, or you can't. There is no yeah. such thing as a fly rod that is going to really make you, make you cast better. There's not. Yep. There's not. So even if you're the guy who's got the $1,300 rod and 30 years of experience, if somebody's like, hey, dude, your only option today is this Orvis Clearwater, you will get by and cast just fine. Oh, so, I, I have done you know, exactly that with a- Yeah, it's, <laughs> the, it's, it's, it's the skill, not the not the tool, I'm, you know. Yeah. Anyhow, um, so that's like your rig. Next, I would like identify what sort of species you were going after primarily. And number one, buy the rod that's like conducive to that. 
Can I, can I, can I, can I add a little caveat to that? Because what I also see people say, you know, cause that's what I'll ask. Well, what are you fishing for? And a lot of times you get, well, trout mostly, uh, but sometimes carp and occasionally smallmouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing, the thing for people to remember, uh, which is, has shocked a few people, I'm like, you don't necessarily match your rod and reel to what you're fishing as yes. much as the flies you have to throw to catch that thing. So, uh, I mean, a nine-foot, five-weight fly rod with floating line is, is what you would call the basic middle of the road. Um, if you're going to throw a bread fly, 30 pound carp though, you might not want that one though. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, let me, let, let me throw a caveat to that. Yeah. If you're going for like a trout centric approach or like a smaller scale fish approach, I would definitely say the nine foot five. If you thought you might primarily be going after like uh smallmouth and you know fish like that i would say bump up to a six 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 or seven but but i mean that's that's the problem you know you have a five weight rod and it does it does 90 percent of the stuff that you want it to do and then it's like oh i'm gonna throw some hair bugs for some largemouth today now it's not gonna turn them over it's not gonna it's and and it's it's not that you can't fight a 10 pound largemouth on a five weight fly rod you're gonna have a hell of a time delivering Mm. that fly because fly fish is a system the line the rod uh everything has to come together and and be in harmony to turn over flip over and present the size of the fly based on how air resistant they are how heavy they are um but all that said it's kind of getting in in the weeds because i do believe anybody who wants to get into this should just forget the big fish dreams for a while yeah and just get yourself a nine foot five weight and learn how to cast it if you're catching panfish and trout learn that and then and then worry about it from there that's my yeah yeah Okay, so that's like your 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 basic uh, you know line reel rod setup. And by the way, don't buy an expensive reel, uh, particularly if you're like just going for like trout and bass. Just and a stuff. line holder. You know, that's all it is. Just a line holder, man. If you're going for like steelhead, yeah. If like that for some reason that's where you decide to dip your toe into fly fishing. Yeah, you want some good um, drag then because it's going to pull. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so now like tactic wise or like general approach wise. Um, I would say like start in a high probability time of year and fish the same areas you would as if you were conventional fishing. And what I mean by that is like if you have a lot of experience flipping, I don't know, uh, you know, just three inch grubs under docks, right, on your conventional setup, do the same shit. Just do it with do it with like a bunny leech or something. Well, let me jump in. Well, here's what I would do. Go buy yeah, your yeah, nine, okay. go buy your nine foot uh, five weight. Put basically any fly that you have on it, whether it's a dry or a nymph, and go to the easiest bluegill pond you know of where all the kids yes. go with with zero shit in, in the way of your back cast. Like preferably a, a pond in the middle of a wide open uh, Nebraska field would be good. Yeah. And even if you have graduated from that long ago, uh, catch a bunch of bluegills. Because yep. you, you take the mystery of fly selection right out of it. They'll eat any nymph or any dry or any tiny popper you put mm-hmm. out there. And um, you're going to learn how to set the hook with a fly rod. You're going to learn how to fight a fish with a fly rod. Because quite often, too, you don't ever touch the reel. You strip your fish in by hand. Um, yep. And you're going to learn how to present. You're going to learn how to cast far. You're going to learn how to cast close. Bluegills, man. Like, kind of go back to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, adopt the mindset of like a true beginner. Have your goal be to catch a fish. It doesn't matter what fish that is. It doesn't matter how big it is. And and, and really try and learn from that. Um, You know, take notes on what works and like what doesn't. And above all else, don't put yourself in technical situations right away. Do stuff where like a good cast will be rewarded with like a a, a bluegill hitting your uh, hitting your fly. Don't like you know try and catch a a trophy brown trout. Yeah, and I, I think the way to step up and you kind of alluded to that with your flipping docks references. You know, once you get a little bit comfortable, um, you know, devote a day to going out. Don't bring your spinning rod. Just take your fly rod, no matter mm. what happens. And when you put yourself in positions where you've 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 gear fished before. I mean, really, every time I'm, I'm out with a fly rod, uh, I'm thinking, you know, how do I present this like gear or vice versa? Like they're sort of right. interchangeable in a way. So if you look at the situation go, normally I would throw a Panther Martin right here and I would put it over there and I'd move it this way. 
just try to emulate that yes. with what's in your fly box, whether it's a little zonker or a little muddler. Um, again, it all goes back to like everybody thinks there's this huge disconnect between no. fly and gear. There's no disconnect at all. You're no. doing the same thing with different tools. No, so. and, and just remember, man, you're learning. Have fun. You know, you said you've been fishing your entire life, man. Um, the learning curve isn't going to be as steep as some folks might want you to believe. You know, yeah. just let it be what it is. Have a good time, man. You'll catch fish, and uh, if you don't, write in again, and we'll tell you how you're messing it up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let us know how it goes, and... Um, we enjoy this segment a lot, so please keep all these great questions coming because we love answering them. And uh, you can send those to bent at com. Best of luck, uh, Crayola Munchies. So that's it for this week. Hey, uh, please don't forget, if you're selling a child's toy, a gently used wheelchair, or a set of encyclopedias on Craigslist, uh, make sure your sawed-off shotgun <laughs> isn't in the photo. That you post to attract buyers to come to your home and look at your wares. <laughs> also, don't forget, if you don't use those degenerate angler and bent podcast hashtags when you post your sawed-off shotgun and drug paraphernalia, <laughs> we might not see it. And we very much want to see it. <laughs> we do. We also want you to keep sending those awkward moments, questions, and all that jazz to bent at com. And finally, we hope we have inspired you to tailor your rod and reel arsenal to the unique waters where you fish so that you can finally bow and arrow cast that spinner to that impossible brook trout under the tree, giving you the confidence to say, Happy learned how to putt. Uh-oh. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.